Okay, welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. This is the show where every single week I interview some of the leading recruitment owners, founders, directors, C-level execs who are prepared to give up some of their time to tell their story, effectively talk about their careers, how they are managing some of the most interesting recruitment agencies in the world with the aim of giving back to the community, coaching and supporting those people that are either, you know, peers or people that are potentially not quite at the same level and on the way up in their recruitment journey. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Bradley Lewington. Bradley is the CEO of Spencer Ogden, um, a very well-known brand, uh, recruitment agency, uh, group of, of recruitment offices um, that, I mean, I, I feel like you guys have been around forever. I don't know, it's just a name that's so synonymous, Spencer Ogden. It's quite a powerful name as well. Um, there are almost 500 staff right now um, around the world, and uh, Bradley's got at a Pretty interesting career in the industry, worked for a number of agencies and took over in 2016 as the CEO. So Bradley, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Not a problem. This is definitely one of those episodes that I'm excited about. Uh, every time I mention, I've mentioned to a few people, yeah, Bradley from Spencer's coming on. I'm like, oh, right, got to watch that one. Um, so <laughs> I don't get too excited. <laughs> well, we'll judge it at the end, eh? Uh, yeah. But do us a favor. I'll give you a little intro, but tell us a bit more, just overview of you right now we'll go back to the past but just if you were to say like what you do right now how would you describe it uh today i am as you said the ceo of spencer ogden so we are for those who don't know we're an energy and infrastructure recruiter mm -hmm. we are headquartered in london but relatively international so we have 12 offices around the world 85 percent of our staff are outside the uk uh so although i'm based here most of our staff are elsewhere uh, and about 90% of our revenue is also outside the UK. So although we are a UK business, really, we're an international business. Uh, and I sit here and try and keep the train on the tracks, basically. <laughs> That's just the key. Enjoy, enjoy that colourful wall behind you. That, that just, yeah, that yeah. I'm actually, I'm in one of our training rooms in London because uh, amazingly, my tech setup at home is actually better now than in our office. So it's the only place I could find that was quiet. Yeah, look, I've, I've, we've just got a... We just signed up to WeWork uh, for not a dedicated office for the co. They've got this like global co-working licenses now for a whole of our team. I've still not been in. It was like a week and a half ago. But I'm just like because I've got such a setup now and everything's ready and you know it's just it's actually it's a bit inconvenient. But I do, I do need to sort myself out and do it. Um, so Brad, thank you for joining us. Um, serious business that you're at the, the helm of. Um, we'll get into exactly how your journeys work, but just take us back to when you got into recruitment. So you joined Match Tech, I believe, about 16 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a long time ago now, doesn't it? I still like to think of myself as quite youthful. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I joined, you know, like most people in recruitment, yeah. uh, you know, no no plans to be in recruitment. Um, uh, went studied at University of Southampton, did the wonderful uh, subject of oceanography and marine biology so you know super relevant to uh to, to people and to, to recruitment i think like a lot of people that uh play sport at uni i probably wasn't ready to leave uni after three years so i found a job in recruitment which we allowed me to stay in southampton <laughs> <laughs> that was basically the driver yeah. how do i get a job quickly that i can stay around university and pretend to be a student for a few more years uh and that happened to pan out for you uh yeah all right. Well, it's panned out now, isn't it? So yeah, but what I mean is like the hours and the intensity of the job. Like you're not. It's very different to a student life, isn't it? You're not waking up at two o'clock watching the first, 
for the first year when I started Match Tech, I still worked in the student pub on Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays, just for a bit of extra money as well. So I did manage to cling on somehow. Uh, but yeah, I worked at Match Tech as a contract recruiter. Um, back then they were, they're now Gattaca, obviously, that I joined just before they listed. So I was there while they were kind of going through that period. Although, you know, as a graduate, it was all a bit beyond me. I was just there to pick up a telephone and try and win some clients and make some deals. Uh, I had a great time. Really, really enjoyed it. Like, fantastic business. And, you know, we were just talking earlier. You've had Anton on here now. And I think you had uh, James on last week or recently. Yeah. There's some really good people have come out of that businesses. And some, some great people are still there as well. Um, and got on to do great. Yeah, things. it's very synonymous with that part of the country. You know, whenever you talk to someone from the south coast, they tended in our sector, they tended to have been involved in some way with, with match technology. Yeah, they've got a great gig, like you know, office on a business park halfway between Portsmouth and Southampton. They kind of draw in graduates from both of those places. I'm actually from London, so you know, I just wanted to hang around a bit longer. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know, they've got they they have had a real proposition at the time. They were the only company really there now. Um, but now there are quite a few people around, I think, sort of competing for talent and uh, doing the same thing. So. What were you like as a consultant? Did you did you do well? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay. I mean, do you know what? This, you're not going to believe me, but I don't really remember exact numbers. Um, mm -hmm. I was a contract consultant. Uh, you know, I remember hitting my first company car target quite quite quickly. Um, I'm, I was a super competitive person, or am a com super competitive person. And I was lucky enough to work in a team that had a couple of really, really big billers in there. Um, and I vividly remember my job or making my job every day was to beat them. They picked up five jobs. I wanted to pick up six. If they sent 20 CVs, I wanted to send 21 CVs. And I just kind of made that my mission sort of early on. And I, and I, and I sort of thrived on the sort of competitive environment. Yeah. Uh, enjoyed it. Uh, you know, managed to win a few clients, um, get some contractors out, kind of got up to 40, 50 out. Uh, was super successful and actually to be honest i probably wouldn't the only reason i left the business was to move back to london um exactly. otherwise i would have probably continued there a little bit longer but at the time they were in they only were in portsmouth they didn't have uh, uh any other offices and you know I was, i'd given up on student life by then and i was ready to to move back yeah. to move back to london you do get that don't you i mean i i did it quite slightly different i went from uni into a sales job i was knocking on doors so I was literally, I went to Pareto oh, Law. Yeah. I went to Pareto Law, um, rector, like some kind of sales or grad recruitment. I got through, God knows how I got through because I was dressed like a complete joke. Me and my business partner turned up with short sleeve shirts on. I had a brown shirt that was short sleeved with a black tie. I don't know what, I look like a waiter in some weird restaurant. Um, suede shoes. Uh, I think my, my trousers were like, I was working in a bar. They had, still had like the muck off the bar on them turned up and it was like the apprentice everyone was like absolute suited and booted with briefcases and i got through anyway Amma didn't get through so let's remember that next time you speak to Amma, <laughs> get through. Yeah. i know i definitely had a few um gray suit black shirt black tie combos uh when yeah. i first started which i'm crack out now but i went from sales into then recruit into teaching and then teaching into traveling into recruitment so i didn't get into recruitment until i was like 25 um and but I know when I got into it, I was already burned through that. I was out of that like student mode. You know, I was ready to go for it. Um, so you moved back to London, and then I don't want to go into too much detail. But you know, you had one ro one role, and then you joined a startup. That so that's an interesting role, isn't it? When you went to Eximius, you were one of the first people that joined that business. 
Yeah, so when I joined them, they were about eight people, of which three of them were sort of the co-founders. It was a real, you know, in a room smaller than the one I'm sitting in now, actually. Yeah. Uh, ten people. They were doing FS at the time. They were they were all from hydrogen. Right. Same as my Fenquist was all hydrogen. When I joined. It was the same sort of size when I went. Yeah. Yeah. So they worked for Barnaby. I think it was. Yeah. It was my. Yeah. yeah, they worked for him and uh, Chris Coles. I think was the other one name, if I remember. Um, and they were real perm high high performance perm recruiters. And I joined them to start. You know, the the grand plan was a a sort of group of companies um, doing different sectors, and you know, like you see many recruiters doing it uh, now still and successfully. Uh, and it was it was great fun. It was great fun. I think you know, our average age was probably twenty five. Mm. Um, there was one guy that was thirty, and we thought he was old. Uh, <laughs> he, he was the boss because he was the oldest, effectively, yeah. <laughs> and he provided a bit of money to get it going. And it was great fun actually. And and that business in the four years I was there. Um, you know, my my bit grew to about thirty odd. The whole business grew to about a hundred. Wow. Uh, it was it was great fun, and they're going now actually. So they they the the, the chaps that, that founded it did an MBO, uh, and Nick now is running it, and uh, a lot of the staff are still there, and uh, you know they do a fantastic job now as well. So it was a good it was a really really good story. Very very different to the Spencer Ogden journey and the Spencer Ogden story. I went from polar opposites. To be honest, well, well, let's there. let's go from so from Match Tech to that what was that you've gone from that big floor almost like you know you're going to be learning a certain way i imagine at match tech to then one of eight i, I literally joined venquist barnaby parker he, he left hydrogen set up venquist three found like the same as you eight people trafalgar square i'd left randstad in melbourne where it was like 300 people on the floor and walked into this room and i was like is this it the meeting rooms were bigger than this in melbourne windows yeah and then they were like well we actually had windows we were looking over trafalgar square it was, it was a regis and i just remember like I, at times i was the only one on the phone and i was like "Fucking hell i'm not used to this i'm the floor used to just move in the other place and not it wasn't like aggressive randstad it was just because we had so many people doing like construction and business support and they were just on the phone all day so the noise level was incredible um so what was it like joining and, and then growing up with that business well, I mean, if you look at the job I went to in between, so actually when I left MatchTech, I joined a company called Orion, who are a big yeah. um, oil and gas agency headquartered out of um, Scotland. And I joined them at the time because I thought I wanted something different. I'd done the 360 consultant, senior, starting to get to sort of mentoring people, that kind of story. Um, and when I left MatchTech, I, I felt like I wanted to try something different. So I went to account management. I thought that's, you know, BP sounded very glamorous oh yeah this you know I, I step up in the food chain now i'm not you know don't need to worry about that 360 stuff anymore um and it couldn't have been less me if i tried you know they weren't they just weren't a sales business like a match tech was a sales business match tech was very much you know here's a telephone here's some targets here's some training let's, let's go, go and, yeah, let's go and the reason i went and did the startup after that actually because i wanted to go back to that environment I'm, i i i missed the competitive side the kind of I think it's very difficult to motivate yourself sometimes if people around you aren't equally as motivated or you know equally bought into and what I really thrived off and enjoyed at that time was there was a real mentality of uh you know we're taking over the world it's gonna be really exciting we're gonna do something here um and it's super tough but very very rewarding um it's a long, I struggle to and like most things now when you look back you only remember the good stuff and you know you kind I of do. really like, do yeah, you sort of blank out all the times when uh, 
your, your computers didn't work or you almost got thrown out of the office someone didn't pay the bill or you know your clients <laughs> didn't pay your invoices and all that kind of jazz or you you, you could you couldn't make payroll that stuff kind of goes out the window and you remember you know making the first deal and bringing the first graduate in and getting their first deal and it's super exhilarating and super fun actually and i i must say i look back on that time very fondly really really enjoyed it um but quite scary yeah it's i mean there was it sounds like there were so many businesses like that where you had a few really good people they surrounded themselves with some really good people and they you have that golden era of like i don't know 30 40 50 people that are just and we had it at Venkers. It was, it was, I think when we were about 35, 40, it was just amazing. Like you had such a good leadership layer. Everyone was good at what they were doing, similar age, making money. It was just looking back. It was, I mean, there was loads of shit that went on that I forget now, but it was, <laughs> it was it, looking back, it was wicked. Amazing job in your late 20s. Um, yeah, so I, I get asked quite a lot internally, like what, what's the best bit or what bit do you enjoy the most? And I vividly remember... 20 people and 50 people as being the two most enjoyable sizes of yeah. like a group of people like 20 people you're like one big team you know everyone yeah you know everyone 50 people you're kind of two teams you start to get different culture and a bit of a different vibe going on but it's still enjoyable beyond that it's starts to get a lot more unwieldy to manage and uh, you, you well, that's what down. i want to talk about i mean I, I mean we're at 29 now at hoxo and it's an interesting dynamic right i never I think at Venquist, I was looking after the UK contract business of about 20-ish. Um, NAMA was involved, and but the direct management was probably about eight, nine. So to now we've got 29, you know, it feels, for us, it feels quite big, but it's not in the grand scheme. But it's still, that it's definitely one family right now, but you can feel it's already breaking off a little bit into little silos. So what was the motivation then? Why why Spencer Ogden? What, what happened there? Um. To give you the to give you the honest answer, when when they when Spencer Ogden launched, uh, I don't know if you were, you might have been in Melbourne at the time, or might have been a bit before your time or not, I don't know. But um, they launched two thousand and ten. So we sorry, we, launched, I'm saying they it was before, but we launched two thousand and ten. But I wasn't here at the time. So right. um, business launched two thousand and ten, um, and you had JB on recently, much like James. Now um, it was launched with you know significant backing. And David went live day one with 20 recruiters, experienced recruiters in the office. And it grew really, really quickly. And um, I really enjoyed Eximius and the time there. The reality is it was owned by, uh, the ownership dynamic changed a bit. And there was two, two brothers that owned it. And, you know, they, were, they did a fantastic job of growing it. I wasn't, I didn't feel like um, I was quite at the top table there. And you know, David and Peter offered a very compelling proposition in an industry I believe was there to be disrupted. That energy industry, you know, is dominated by some very, very established players. And I did feel there was a big, and well, and we proved it, there was a big opportunity for a, another agency to grow and get scale in that industry. And I think it required quite a bit of capital to do it. And the attraction really was to join Spencer Ogden with a bit of backing um, and to grow quicker than what I've been able to do previously um and i when i joined the business there were about 80 people within so they've, they've been going about three years there were about 80 people then and i joined it and they were mostly in the uk they're um london aberdeen glasgow and they just launched in the us didn't they have like astroturf in the london office am i making it we still, yeah we still do yeah, yeah. i just i think i saw like a 
video of something about them. I think Innocent had it in their office, and then I saw Spencer Ogden had it. And I was yeah, like, we had a few ropey videos early, and I don't know how we delete them off the internet, but there's a few. Uh, there's a few. Ropey videos, you know, yeah. but, you know. It's all, but as I say that at the time, it's all part of the kind of hmm. journey, isn't it? It's all part of you know the, the evolution of the business and the maturing of the environment as well. But we still do have AstroTurf and. The, all of our offices around the world look the same. So if you go into an office, you hopefully know you're in a Spencer Ogden office, and that's a key part of the uh, of the brand. Um, and they just launched in the US. So, and so I joined, um, and it was you can join in London and you know be part of a business or you know start something. So I you know took the opportunity to disappear off to the other side of the world and move to Singapore and and launch an Asia business for them. Which did, was, did you decide that location or did they like how did that come? Yeah, about? we just picked it. To be honest, I'd, I'd been to Singapore once for about a day. That was, uh, that was the sum total of my... Um, Very clean place when I was there. Oh, I loved it. I must say, I still do now. But really, we basically said... We, David said, I want an Asia business. We looked and went, well, I speak English in Singapore. It looks quite easy to set up. We'll do it in Singapore. Um, and then I, I got on a plane with my little suitcase and... Were you, um, imagine you were single, single at that time, no no commitment. I know, actually, I had a girlfriend at the time. She moved to Singapore as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, she moved, got a job. And ironically, she then ended up coming to work for us. That, but she didn't originally. But, you know, mm. I don't think we want to go into that story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's one to avoid. Um, but, yeah, so so then I did a startup in, in Singapore. You know, it was back to, back to the Eximius again, really, what we did at did the you- beginning think about starting your own agency at that point were you at the point were you at that point in your career where that could was a viable option instead of joining Spencer Ogden yeah yes it was it was definitely and actually it's something I considered before Eximius as well yeah because um, you were about seven looking at seven eight years into your career at that point yeah so so yeah when I finished it was definitely an option um I think there was two drivers for me one I wanted to move overseas because mm-hmm. I felt that if you know, I wanted to run a bigger business. I wanted a bigger job. And I felt that if um, if I was to do that, I needed to learn something other than London and other than the UK recruitment. I need to get out and experience a little bit more. I've never done traveling. I've never done that kind of stuff. It was school, university, work. Um, so I felt it was a really important part of development was to go and see another part of the world and understand how, how can I crack it there? Can you, you know, can you make it work there? And also understand how another culture and another um, place works. Um, and I also felt that to, to accelerate, to, to grow my career, I wanted the backing and I wanted to kind of, you know, I wanted to, to do it quickly. And as I say, my, my experience has always been in energy recruitment. I really felt and feel, and as I said, we now proved to an extent, that there was a gap for a supplier in there. And I wanted to be the person driving that agency and driving that growth. And, you know, I've managed to, I think people call it an entrepreneur these days rather than an entrepreneur, but I, I don't feel like managed to get anything less out of being at Spencer Ogden and likewise for, for a lot of our staff than I would have done had I started my own business at that time you know I've managed yeah. and I think that's really important that's one thing I want to promote on this show like you don't have to start your agency to be a really successful like you say entrepreneur a, a significant shareholder a leader someone who you know builds an amazing career has extra extremely good financial rewards all of that's possible in you know that's the one thing I love about this sector more than People, you know, people outside, whenever you talk to someone who's not got anything to do with recruitment, they just, they're almost eyes glaze over when you talk about, they just don't have a clue what, what, what's possible. Yeah. And then when they find out, they're like, really? Like, you know, some people, some of the careers and stories people go through. So paint the picture as you land in Singapore, 
did you do the did you do it like the original did you take have 20 people day one type thing or how, how did you build it? <laughs> yeah we tried um we couldn't find them it's quite a small place singapore yeah. um so no yeah literally off the plane um find somewhere to live um i said well i'll admit it now because they've all left but that my girlfriend at the time actually went to work for robert waters and robert waters paid for her to have accommodation so i stayed with her so that saved us a bit of money so robert waters helpfully paid for us to uh <laughs> to start. Go on, Rob. <laughs> thanks very much rob um and I think we, uh, yeah exactly i'm not I'm, not I'm sure they won't notice um and we you know so off find an office find a serviced office um you know we couldn't find an office at the right price so i ended up taking their boardroom literally um so we took the boardroom in an office um and it was set out to find a team of recruiters so we didn't have anyone in the uk that was ready to move no so i just said about trying to find an experienced team i actually met that's where i met james brown as well who you had on recently so yeah, he, was, out he there, was building Faden at exactly the same time he got there about a year before i did um and we met up quite regularly actually. wasn't he quite young at that point wasn't he, he was a... yeah he, yeah he doesn't look it but um no. but no yeah <laughs> he, he still is now yeah um, I think he was like early 20s or something. He flew over to Singapore. I mean, it's just nuts, really, that you give people that opportunity. Yeah, I know. But great. And he, he was a bit ahead. So, you know, it was very much sort of tapping on what he had seen. But um, yeah, we, we, you know, we started, we started the business and hired a team of 10. So, I had 10 experienced people from various sources. Um, and then our, as soon as we did that, it was about graduates. We just started the Graduate Training Academy um, and started bringing people in that way um, and expanded relatively quickly. To a bigger serviced office a bigger office we've got our first leased office and, and you know now we've got a hundred people i think we're actually the fourth largest agency in singapore now um wow. by headcount so i think we're almost the same size as hayes is one of our bigger locations so we've got about 90 people now in singapore so were you, were you was your role in previous so eximius and um the previous were you involved in that training academy type stuff was that a big part of your role before that you already had the skills or did you have to lean on the hq for that um we a bit of both so definitely you know i obviously joined as a graduate the, the match set model very much is yeah. hire graduates and train graduates at eximius again we tended to start with a few experienced people and then it was graduates and bring them in and train them so you know i'd say all the way through my career everywhere we've worked it's been organic it's been about training and developing new staff within one of the things that attracted me to Spencer Ogden and also one of the things that's allowed us to grow quickly and continue to grow quickly is the ability to train and develop consultants through the academy model. It doesn't always work, don't get me wrong, you know, it's a, it's, it's a challenging model. Mm. Um, but it, 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 what, what I was able to get from Spencer Ogden by joining them at the time was they had a tried and tested training program. We managed to bring trainers out from the UK to deliver that program on the ground in Singapore. We then quite quickly hired our own trainer um, and our own internal recruitment. So, you know, one of the things that David was really, um, I think what has helped Spencer Ogden scale was it was very much infrastructure first, then salespeople. So there's a very, there was a great commitment to building the infrastructure and paying that cost up front, which again is why you, you know, you need that investment to be able yeah. to facilitate growth. So my, the actual first hire in Singapore was an operations manager. We hired wow. a team of 10, then we hired a trainer, then we had an internal recruiter, and not long after we bought we got our own finance person in as well so we really built an infrastructure quite quickly that's its own business then mm. enabled us to kind of bolt people in um and take that methodology from the uk 
and from the from from the rest of the business and just roll it out in asia and just and, and continue to deliver it so um otherwise you know you find your time is spent hiring developing training the whole time and not really focus on growing the business which is mm. such a key part of you know achieving scale in a recruitment company i'm interrupting today's episode to introduce our sponsor district four District 4 is a brand new community of expert recruiters founded recently by James Johnson, the former CEO of Nickel Curtain Group. He sold the business last year and has set up a business that effectively allows expert top billing recruiters to own their own destiny. So post COVID-19, there's a hell of a lot of top performers out there that are thinking, what does life look like after this? Do I really want to go back to the office? Do I really want to be surrounded by juniors? Do I want to build teams? What do I want? Well, um, I've been there. I was the top builder in 2015, 2016. And going into management was a decision I made, and it wasn't lightly. Um, having had an, an opportunity that would have been different, I might have gone a different way. Um, and James is offering that opportunity, right? He's saying, if you want to earn more money, have less of the the bureaucracy, if you like, of an agency, but also be surrounded by other top billers. Because I think that's a crazy thing. So many top performers in recruitment businesses are on their own. They don't sit in a, in a boardroom full of top billers. They're usually on their own, either with the owners or with people that are significantly uh, performing lower than them. It's quite a lonely place. So District 4 is effectively a community where you can start your own mini recruitment business within the community, within the brand, and be surrounded by other people that are all billing 200 grand and plus. You get complete ownership of your destiny. You can uh, do exactly what you want when you want. You can bill what you want. Um, and the back office, everything uh, that you don't want to do, um, invoicing, contracts, compliance, et cetera, is taken care of. So you can be an absolute niche expert recruiter. So James and the team are growing rapidly. They are looking for expert independent recruiters to get in touch. If you're billing at least 200,000 in, in an average year, you're, an, you're a niche recruiter. We're not looking for generalist recruiters here. If you're a niche recruiter and you're thinking, look, one option is to go back to the office, I'm not excited. The other option is to start my own business in my underpants, I'm not excited. This might be the option for you. So if you're interested, either click the link associated to this episode or go to www.district4.io forward slash hoxo. That's www.district4.io forward slash hoxo. On there, you'll see more information about their membership, how to get involved and register your interest. Within days, James will be on the phone. You'll have a conversation about the opportunity and you might be one step closer to being in control of your destiny. Don't wait now. Make that contact and change your life post-COVID for the better. What other offices were doing similar things around the world at that point? For, for us, as a, 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 a so we had Houston. We had Houston at the time. Uh, they were growing equally. It was a great competition between Singapore yeah. and for a while. Um, we had launched in Dubai. Uh, we had launched in Germany as well. We were in Berlin at the time. Um, and we grew, you know, the business went from starting in 2010 to 250 staff and 28 million in fees by 2015. So you know, the numbers were astronomical. I think we did 2 million first year, 5 million second year, 8 million, 20 million, 28 million. Um, so, you know, that growth trajectory was, was phenomenal, actually. Then the oil price market, then the oil market crashed. 
brought yeah. us all back down to earth. We had our own sort of mini recession um, in our industry, um, which was challenging to say the least. What was it? Yeah, let's talk about that. What, how did that? How did that hit? And what, what year was that again? Twenty. It's really 2015. So um, I remember, I, remember I didn't have any involvement in the market, so it just it didn't touch me. But I do remember it when I was in recruitment. It came in. Yeah, and there, and there was a, you know, Spencer Ogden was actually founded as a renew. Ironically, we were founded as a renewable recruiter. So that was the original business plan. 2010. It was a, it was all about green tech and renewables. Probably a bit bit too early for it to really stick. Yeah. And the billings came from oil and gas, and. I guess what we saw was unintentionally as a business, because we, because of the way we, we scale so quickly. So I joined Spencer Ogden, went straight to Asia. I'd never worked in the office. Um, we brought on some new people in the US again. So John at the time joined Spencer Ogden, launched it. Um, they weren't, we weren't organic people. Really, there wasn't a clear strategy. So what happened was we all kind of gravitated towards oil and gas because it was where it's quite lucrative. Yeah. So you go to 2015 and we're, we're running around calling ourselves an energy recruiter. Really, we're an oil and gas recruiter. And really, we're an upstream oil and gas recruiter, even more, you know, really, to be really specific. And, you know, we found ourselves with about 75% of our revenue was globally was in upstream oil and gas. Uh, we're doing about 14 million pounds of perm fees in upstream oil and gas. 2015, we went from 14 million to about 4 million um, in a year. Um, and most of our headcount as well across the regions was in oil and gas as well. Um, so how, do you pivot, how do you pivot at such a big scale? <laughs> a lot of panicking um, and a lot of running. I mean, we we ran for, for say 15 to 16. We ran really, really hard to stand still. And actually, we learned a few, you know, we learned some lessons that's really helped us through through the, through COVID. And um, what we did at the time was we took what we thought like with the best of intentions, we took very, what we thought, sensible decisions to pivot the business. Uh, in hindsight, we probably shouldn't have done it. Uh, and we probably, you know, might be a bit further ahead where we were. So what, what we took the decision to, to do then was to obviously close offices that were focused only on upstream oil and gas to, to shrink the cost base down a little bit. And we then decided to diversify into other markets, into related markets. So we were already doing renewables and power and they were parts of the business, so that continued. But we then decided we launched rail, aerospace, defensive, other engineering markets that had synergies within um, oil and gas. And we did, you know, don't get me wrong, we did a great job. We replaced, we, we think we replaced about 9 million of fees in a year. So we actually managed to stand still uh, from 15 to, to, to 16. Um, but we took on too many things. We launched too many markets. We weren't focused enough. Uh, we spent a lot of money trying to do it, um, and we didn't get very far. And in hindsight, what we should have done is really focused in on two or three really core areas um, and continue to drive our kind of presence and just diversify away from oil a little bit, but not quite as far as we went. So, you know, like 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 a lot of businesses, we 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 tried to do too much. We didn't focus, um, and we we spread ourselves a bit thin, and we and. You know, you're walking around the business asking who your competitors were and you'd get 100 different recruitment companies. And that's not a great sign because you're, you know, you're competing on far too many fronts. Um, so, not, And you were like, you were always like mini CEOs of each office, right? So across the, were you guys like trying to support each other through that? Or did it feel like you were on your own a little bit out there? Um, so I actually moved back. To, so I moved back from Asia to London 
when the oil price crashed. Right. So I came back to take over Amir as well. So you'd let someone else take, someone else was running that, that head, headquarters up there? Yeah, so I kept running Asia from London. I then came back and took over from the director that was running Amir. Um, and that was our real problem child. So about 90% of the staff were doing upstream oil and gas. And it really kind of turned off overnight. So you take a new job, move back, and then boom, it all changes. Yeah, all fell to pieces. It's a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit Happened of a story. A yeah. But it is, look, it is what it is. And um, and as I say, you know, we did we did a fantastic job of standing still, actually, as, as a business. Um, what, was but it, like? what was your life like then? It, it, to, to, to think you're that guy jumping on a plane, excited to go to Singapore. A few years later, you come back. What was your, How would your life change? How would you change as a person, do you think, at that point? Oh, definitely more, um, I'm going to say the word worldly, um, mm. but I think certainly more considered. Um, I would definitely say, you know, I went to, to Singapore very gung-ho, um, which, you know, as you'd expect for someone mm. in the late, the late 20s, yeah. uh, <laughs> take, you know, very much sort of um, take, taking on a new challenge, which is very exciting. I sort of came back to, uh, to the UK a little bit more considered, probably a bit more pragmatic, um and there's absolutely you know a number of things i've learned over my career so far but i think the key one is if you want to be successful you need to be focused and consistent and it it does take time you know you can't do something for a quarter and expect it to work and then you know be up in arms and move on to the next thing and, and too often that's where the mistakes wow. are made you do that something quote, new. i'm just going to take what you've just said and put it on my website when it comes to marketing because that is the best quote i've ever heard like you got <laughs> Don't look at anything but just a quarter. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, come on. Yeah, but that's it, right? You, you, you yeah. know, you've got to be. That's that's definitely the kind of big learn for me. You know, that that focus and consistency. And um, how much we, bigger? Like, how do you, I mean? I've got a team now in Asia. Um, well, a couple of people out in Australia. I've got South Africa. I've got America. And the time zones is challenging, right? So the you know. We run academy programs at 8 a.m. to cater for Singapore and, and Australia, and then again later on for the U.S. market. And it is challenging. How did you? How was managing a, a, an office in a crisis in Asia and EMEA possible? Like, what was your day like? It was challenging. So at the time, we'd we'd launched in Perth. We were also so by the time I left Asia, we were in Singapore, Hong Kong, Perth. Yeah, Perth. So we we had three offices. I had three leaders that reported to me. Moved back to the UK. We had when I moved back to UK, we had Dubai, London, Aberdeen, Glasgow, Berlin. So I had another five leaders. So I had eight managers reporting in, basically. Wow. Um, I it's challenging, right? Because you know your day starts early and finishes late. And I, I lived in Clapham at the time, and I yeah. basically Same. drove. I drove to work every day at Charlotte Street because I knew it took quite a while. Where's Charlotte uh, Street? Soho. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, why would you do that? Yeah. So there was logic in it. It sounds. Like you could be on the phone while you're driving. Yeah. Because you, that's it. So you could do your Asia call. You could start your day basically during your commute. Whereas if you get the tube and the train and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's dead time, isn't it? So. Um, so yeah, the, the the logic was very much. Makes sense, but imagine yeah. that whole the whole Clapham Road up to Brixton and all that. I mean, that must have been yeah, a. Right. Yeah, you learn a lot of the uh, cut throughs. Um, you get to learn Belgravia quite well. It's, it's, uh, you're like a you're like a London black cabbie, really. Aren't yeah, you? exactly. I know exactly. What's going on. Um, so yeah, so you, you start your day early, basically. So um, how many people were in your remit at that point? How many staff members? 
so we had about 100 in Asia and about 140 in 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 Amir. So you know, circa 250. Um, and we took that uh, back quite a bit in Amir. Um, so we, we we cut it back to go forwards. Um, and when we, we effectively, when I took over the business in the end of 16, not to jump ahead, we took the decision to get rid of the stuff that we had started and go back to our kind of core. And, you know, we took a bit of time to go backwards to move forwards, I think, and, um, and to refocus on, on what were our core sectors. Um, and that, but that, that particular time was really difficult because we had a lot of really high performing consultants that had been billing a lot of money that overnight were billing no money. And also other sectors were very buoyant at the time. So it's not like, you know, not like COVID we've been through where every recruitment company's kind of been through the same. So, trying to retain good people was difficult because there were plenty of buoyant markets and there was plenty of recruitment companies on the phone going, Spencer Ogden, they're trained well. Their yeah. market crashed up. I'll happily, have, I'll happily have some of their consultants. So it was particularly in London where it's always uber competitive for talent. It was, um, it was a particularly challenging um, period actually. And then yeah. when you're trying to grow five or six different markets, you're spinning a lot of plates. A final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry. Now, I first heard about these guys about a year ago. The amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere, I had to look into it. And what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are, are doing this to give their, their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 Crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening to your recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. I'm just trying to think, like, what's going through my head is, and I imagine people listening would be the, the, the jumps you've gone through from literally founder of a business to 10 people with an ops manager to getting up to 200 and odd in Asia to then looking after, or sorry, 100 in Asia to then 250, 300 across that. Like, you, what, what are the skill sets you noticed? And again, we'll talk about where you are now shortly, but what were the skill sets you had to ad adopt to keep stepping up that ladder? Because not many people in our industry are capable or have had that experience of, of stepping those ladders, if you like. <laughs> yeah. I think the key one is you got to ask, actually. 
I think that's, you know, and it sounds like a silly thing to say, but, you know, I asked people that had done it and that, yeah. that are still doing it. Um, you know, it's not one of those things that you can fake it. There are a lot of stuff in sales you can fake it to make it. Um, I think when you're trying to lead a lot of people, you have to ask advice, you have to seek out support, whether that's from training, whether it's from other leaders, whether it's external trainers, you know, from anywhere and everywhere, you absolutely can. Um, and you've got to listen that, you know, something I absolutely, well, there's a story that always sticks out from my mind in Singapore where um, the first batch of graduates we hired, um, one of them resigned quite early on. And it was a bit of a shock to me, actually. I was like, hold on, you know, she's only just joined the business. She seems to be enjoying it. She seems to be doing really well. I went away on a business trip. She resigned when I was away, not even when I was there. I was like, you know, I don't, you know, God, that's a bit, bit of, come out of the blue that. And about three months later, once one of our graduates that was still with us had been um, got a bit more confidence and I'd probably built a bit more rapport with her. She came to me and said, do you know why um, Diane left? And I was like, no, you know, she just wasn't enjoying it. She said, no, you, you embarrassed her in the office. And she felt she couldn't work in the environment anymore. And I genuinely couldn't think of what I'd done. I was like, I'm like what have I done? And apparently she had asked me a question and I was quite busy. And I just put my hand up and said, no, I'm really busy. I'll come back to you later. Um, but culturally, that was a huge sort of no-no. She lost face. She didn't feel like she could then um, come to anyone in the office. And, and that's something that's actually then really, really stuck with me ever since around making sure that at all times, you, you know, you're listening to people, you, you, you're engaged, you're really trying to, um, to, to support them and you, you're making that time and effort. Um, and you've got to be structured with, with, with your time. But ultimately, the, the people come first and you've got to, you've got to put that bit first. 100%. So was was David your boss at that point? Yeah, so David. David was the C David was the founder and the CEO um, up until he left in 2006, end 2016. So how did you, how did that happen? Were you, were you were you expecting to become the CEO? Was that your your vision and mission within that role when you moved back? Um I think I'd be lying if I said no. Like I wanted it um i don't think i expected it as quickly like that was the that was my goal that's why i joined the business you know i went out i wanted to succeed I, you know built a built asia came back took on a um, difficult challenge in amir you know i wanted to learn uh, my goal was always to run the business and a, a large business i don't think i expected it to happen then and quite as quickly as it did um but it but like all these things the timing is right uh, the timing was right and 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 you know David was very supportive of it. You know he he um, like all things. The business is in different. I'm, I'm sure you, you get this quite a bit of the podcast. I don't know, but um, businesses in different stages require different skills. Yeah, David was an absolute, and he is now a phenomenal startup guy, and and will always be, and and also a phenomenal operator. You know he knows exactly what's going on, and he you know he's got a he's got a real kind of vision. But he is super visionary, and we were at a point in the business where we really, if we're honest, we had to go backwards a bit to go forwards. Um, and it required a slightly different sort of set of skills, I think, and um, or, or, or approach. I think I'm more like David, if I'm brutally honest. Like even yeah. even in my business, you know, we swapped, me and Amma swapped over last month. So the business, the agency is now led by him and the academy is now my business, which is effectively a startup again, you know, we've got, there's five of us running it around the world. We've, you know, we've got a lot of clients and it's been great, but I'm building it from the ground up from scratch. I just feel like, a, I don't know if I'm a lunatic though, because I started a 
marketing agency having never worked in marketing and now I've took, and now I'm building a coaching business having never really worked in coaching. So, I mean, I was a school teacher, so I can hold on to that. But maybe I like the challenge of doing something I literally have no idea where it could go. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. It's, it's look at myself. It's a exhilarating bit, isn't it? Mm. Like that. Uh, you know, I, I think that's where the buzz lies. I think it's super exciting. And I, I think the startup of an office, you know, it's that fear, a little bit of the fear of the unknown. Um, but but I, it drives you, doesn't it? I've definitely felt, I'm just being honest, like I've, I've wondered whether or not I've been a failure. Like, you know, having to move that, like we've both spotted that it's the right move for the business. And I've been like, you know, questioning, does that mean I'm a failure? I'm not good enough at this, at that. But I think it, what I'm trying to do is just learn, like, accept that I've got certain skills that like I can improve and grow those skills, but embrace the skills I've got and go for it rather than sit there and worry about the ones I maybe don't have, if you know what I mean. Um, I think you've got to play to your strengths, haven't you? Like I think people, I think that actually takes a really strong character and presence of mind to recognize strengths and weaknesses. But I also think you particularly in a business, you're better off trying to strengthen those strengths than really, you know, people yeah. often, and fix all the weaknesses and stop and don't yeah. develop strengths. Actually, it can be really powerful if you can, you know, supplement those weaknesses with people. Really, that's you know what other people are for, and and, and drive strengths. I think that's the same across all businesses, isn't it? And and particularly recruitment businesses is trying to help people identify those strengths, bring them to the fore, and then really allow them the space. You know, most of my job now is getting out of the way. That's probably what I'd describe uh, the job as a CEO of our business these days trying to let people grow and, you know, use their strengths and grow the organization and grow their careers. Makes sense. I love it. So tell us the story. How did it come about? How did that CEO role all unfold for you? Um, yeah, as I said, like, the, you know, we had been through this oil crash. We had diverse, we had really diversified. And, and the, because the business had grown quite quickly and with, as I said, with these external leaders, you know, we're, we trained graduates, so all of our graduates were kind of talking the same um, language or approach, whatever. But actually, really, when you kind of put all the business together, we were uh, we were joined by the same brand name, but that was about it. It was really 10 different businesses <laughs> operating under the same banner. Um, and that gets you explosive growth, but it, it kind of takes you to a bit of a tipping point. And actually, you get to a point where you can't continue to scale without processes, unfortunately, a bit boring. You yeah. can't you can't scale without consistency, without with process, with um, tools, that, you know, and, um, and and technology that allows you to to do that. Otherwise, you just kind of spin the wheels. So we decided at that point I would take over. We spent the first year really just taking it back to energy and infrastructure. So we just split it straight back down to four sectors. We got rid of everything else that wasn't within those sectors. Uh, we closed offices that didn't have either an ability to hire graduates and get you know, access to talent um, and weren't in locations where we could access those sectors, at least two of those sectors and get to scale. Mm -hmm. So if we couldn't get to 50 people in a location, we decided that wasn't for us. So we took it back. Um, and then we focused on growing the business we, through consistency. So we, we retrained all our managers. So silly little things like having the same term for net fee income having the same having the same you know an a job would have the same standard if it's in denver or if it's in singapore just so you can get consistency otherwise you know you're looking at your data and i'm sitting there looking at data and it doesn't mean anything because you've got 
13 people all calling something slightly a slightly different language and lots of little things like that make a huge difference when you're trying to go from that role of ceo though did did you have to interview for it how how did did david step down how did it all come about (laughs) uh no it wasn't particularly formal um so it was you know breakfast then i had to go so so the business was majority owned until this year or last year sorry by sir peter ogden i had to i went and met him obviously he was on our board so i met him every board meeting but you know we went had a conversation about it and you know i sat in his house in kensington like a little boy on his sofa feeling very <laughs> feeling very sheepish uh, while he while he quizzed me about how i'm going to make this business grow and profitable um which was which was, you know again you know it's, it's interesting it's a good experience and um and I, I guess the bit that kind of surprised me and in again at the time it was the right thing to do david left then and didn't come back he actually went and launched a food and beverage business um and i think there's a good saying you know founders and you know david again um they cast quite a big shadow so actually that gave me a bit of a, a head start by him sort of leaving immediately or exiting being an executive sort of allowed me to sort of carry on without that whole if it was david think or maybe i'll get you know people trying to go around the side to to the old ceo or to to, to the owner so um that helped a lot but yeah it happened really quickly looking back now it seemed it seemed like it was quite drawn out over a period of time but actually it really was came in on monday and suddenly how did you how did you feel in that when that changed um there's a lot there was a lot of pressure so i I mean you know these aren't industry secrets so to to try and be open so spencer had grown really quickly we spent loads of money to grow peter put loads of money in we never made a penny of profit <laughs> and it was quite a well-known thing in the industry at the time and you know long and we were consuming loads of cash because yeah. we were continually growing so i had a pretty clear mandate from peter which was can you make this business make some money <laughs> please yeah. um which seemed fair enough request from from an owner <laughs> of a business i was like yeah i'll see what i can do um <laughs> I can't promise anything. But yeah. I can't promise, but we'll give it a go. Uh, we should be all right, and um, and 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 also change the vision and values of the business. Like you know, a lot of we, the business had given away equity. There was a lot of focus around a deal and a transaction. And the reality is, like that's a byproduct of doing a good job. And we had too many people that were focused on um, doing a deal. Yeah. Um, so we felt that I took that away and just said, look, you know, this is about growing a career, growing a business anything else that happens is a byproduct and absolutely if we can achieve x y and z we'll be able to do x y and z but we've got to get there first um so we went for a bit of churn there are a few definitely a few people that were um maybe waiting for something that probably wasn't going to come as quickly as they thought it was um and then we made sure we you know we then had the right people um on the bus but yeah at the time it was very stressful because it's a big business we weren't you know we've been growing non-stop and suddenly that growth had slowed to a halt and that's a real um challenge in the business i think momentum is so key in sales businesses and trying to get momentum going again is without question the hardest thing i've ever done or we've ever done as a business it's not me it's down to the leadership team um but we did it but it, it took a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of like acceptance again that there is going to be a period of time that we have to go through before we can really kind of get it going otherwise you've just got profitless growth which really isn't doing anyone any favors and and actually between 
17, 18. We're actually in 2020, it kind of went a bit under the radar because of COVID, but we're actually the seventh fastest growing in the Times 100 profit track. I think we were seventh, so we grew our profits by 98% between 17, 18, uh, sorry, 18, 19, 20. So we went from zero to six and a half million of EBITDA, um, which was good. And we grew the business by about 100 people in that time. We got it to about 30, 37 million fees. Um, it's an exciting. It was an exciting time, but a very challenging time. Not just for me. Is that, but is that when the PE firm, when you did the PE deal? So yeah. So we then did a, a PE deal um, or a transaction in February last year. Right, closed in February last year. It started before that. So um, yeah, that was interesting. So uh, the primary driver of that was to really we didn't need money to grow. We were, you know we've generating lots of cash. We want a great growth trajectory. It was about reorganizing the shareholding to allow David to exit, but also to get more equity into the hands of the leaders in the business, into our, into our team, which is what we managed to do. Um, but then, then we all got, then we had to send everyone home the next month. So it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a shock for the, for our new owners. So how uh, did you, what was it like for you? You've got, you got new, a new board, if you like, or new ownership. You're, you know, you're, you're at the helm of a, the biggest business has ever been, you know, and then COVID strikes. What what was it actually like for you in those early days in March when it when it unfolded? Um, a, a bit too twofold, really. I guess because we'd been through it not that long ago. Actually, I was relatively relaxed about the business, as in I knew we were resilient. We were actually more resilient than I was expecting, to be honest. But I knew we would be relatively resilient. I was quite comfortable in. Um, you know what would happen in the future obviously there's a lot of unknown about how long it would last but the business bit i was quite confident we knew what we were going to do this time we weren't going to over diversify we were going to you know consolidate we we're going to stick to our core sectors and actually we we're going to try and grow and you know grow back and i was quite confident we would be able to exit it the the fear is obviously we've got a new board we just bought in a new chairman we just bought in a new cfo <laughs> so you've got a lot of a lot of new people we, i think we only had two face-to-face board face-to-face board meetings um before we went straight to um straight to lockdown everything went on to zoom so um was the business set for laptops and integration on video and did you have it were you already at that point yeah yeah by luck more than by design you know we'll in history will tell us we did it on purpose um but that's not the truth (laughs) you know everything was um cloud-based so all of our systems were on the cloud everyone logged into everything from a single source login that the reason for doing that was around launching new offices so we could launch businesses easily so there was some you know absolute logic to it so everything we use has always been uh cloud-based so you know effectively to start a new office you need a person a laptop and an internet connection um so we were relatively well set up from a technology point of view to work from home we had a video software we have um all of our phones have been soft phones really from day one, video conferencing is quite well set up in the organisation. So, from an infrastructure point of view, we're okay. We had to buy some laptops for people that you know didn't have access to stuff. But other yeah. than that, relatively smooth. Um, it, it's the the big challenge for us is in a business where you're training and developing graduates to suddenly pivot to that being online. How do you train and develop people joining? You know, fresh into an industry where they haven't got people around them, they can ask questions, they can learn from they can go to if something goes wrong you know it really um that kind of slowed slowed us down and took a long it took us a while to work that out basically i bet what 
what was your how how did you cope being remote from everyone you know one minute you're in the office and everyone's asking you questions and it's non-stop and then suddenly you're at home and i imagine your phone was off the hook and whatever you but how did you personally find that period i think there are two two things here i guess from a from my job perspective i was probably the only person whose job didn't really change much because so much of our business is international yeah the only bit that changed for me is i stopped traveling so normally yeah. you know pre pre-pandemic i'd probably do two days two two days two weeks a month abroad one of our offices somewhere um one to two weeks sorry to be fair um that that went out the window but generally most of my job because of where our staff are is you know and on the phone anyway so yeah. my, mine was the only role in the business that just carried on as normal but from a personal perspective i found it i you know as i've said to our staff hopefully i found it quite difficult to be motivated working from yeah. home difficult to you know i'm a competitive person by nature i like the cut and thrust of seeing what's going on and um i thrive off people being around you and that's where you get that energy from and suddenly to sit at home all the time with your dogs barking it's quite it's quite hard to you know you're busy you've got loads of stuff to do it's quite hard to really just get up and, and do that and that that took a bit of yeah it took a bit of time i think to get used to that what's the situation now are you back five days or how, how do you manage the whole business so we're now back um three and two so after the first lockdown we kind of put our cars on the table to say this is what we're going to do three days in the office two days work from home and, and flexibility around start and finish times um and this is going to be the future um so we can kind of get into that rhythm now so that's that's the policy everywhere kind of various countries are in various stages at the moment um so some places still can't go into the office denver for example we have a density um thing we're only allowed 12 people at a time in the office so there, there are there are various rules and regulations around the world but our policy is three and two and that's what we're back to in london uh, what, what what do you think what, what what about you guys yeah i'd say i mean my business went remote and hasn't changed we've got some like i say we work licenses for those in hubs but it's remote um but across the client base i'd say three and two is really popular um some have gone with that strategy structure some have just said look we're not going to give you like literally it's up to you um i don't think i've seen a single recruitment brand of any size that have said we're just going to stay remote i've not i've not really seen that yet um partly i don't know if that's partly to do with the fact you're committed to contracts on leases and things like that and you know it's very difficult to just maneuver your way out of those things if you sign up but but also the dna of the, the industry i think is just so people you know i mean i i remember working in offices where i didn't want to go in every day I, i'm sure i fucking hated it some days but looking back it was it was it was fundamental to the success like it you know you supported each other through so much shit and it was more the the bad days that you needed to be around the people rather than you get bad news at home and it's just grim yeah. it's a lot easier when you when you're around other people um so i think what you're doing is pretty um it's pretty standard in terms of the way the industry's going what what I'm interested to know your thoughts are is, is where do we go after? So let's just say the 12 months time, the world is back to what it was or as close to what it was as possible. Like, do you truly believe the impact of COVID will last beyond that? Or do you think, because what I think is people have made really, really big decisions on based on a very small period of time, including me, right? To, to, to get rid of an office and just go remote, 
based on 12 months when really you're thinking about a career of 16 years in the industry all of those tried and tested like i don't know i'm i'm starting to get to the point where i think actually maybe we've all just jumped the gun a bit with these big bold <laughs> that's the future what do you reckon ah uh, well i think the first thing i reckon is human beings have got quite a, quite a short memory so mm. uh you'll be surprised how quickly everything goes back to normal and people yeah. forget there was a lockdown and all you know whatever yeah. so i do i do believe that um i think that I think there isn't an answer to this. Like, I, as in, there isn't one answer. I think everyone's, and this is much like recruitment. I think everyone, I say this to our staff all the time, like recruitment's uber distracting. If you're a consultant or if you're a leader of a business, because if you're a consultant, there's leaderboards everywhere. You're always looking over your shoulder. Oh, what are they doing? Actually, you've just got to focus on what you can control. And if you do that, you tend to find you progress. Same as when you're running a business, you're always tempted. What is, what's that business over there doing? Like, Despite the fact recruitment is quite a simple business, telephone, build a relationship, there's lots of different ways to do it. And there isn't one way that works, you know, just because we hire grads and train grads, that's not the only way of doing it. You know, there's, and, I, and I kind of feel that's going to be the same in the future for COVID, post-COVID as well. I think there will be some businesses that create great, purely virtual um dynamics and, and, and cultures. And I think there will some that will go straight back to the way it was. And I think and people will kind of gravitate to the brand that works for them um you know we're seeing graduates asking us in interviews if we have an office will i be able to go to an office well like, absolutely of course you can go there as much you go and go there all the time if you want you just don't have to so i do think that um i do think i, I personally do think people have made quite big decisions off a relatively short period of time um we haven't but not not for any other reason that i, I think you've just got to kind of see how it plays out um and you've got to be relatively flexible in in your approach and you've got to do what's right for you and what's right for your management team and your business and the people in your business and there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all and that's generally the same for uh, yeah. the approach to scaling any business i think everyone's everyone wants to do what someone else is doing rather than what they're doing yeah 100 now what what's business like right now how would you describe it um Buoyant, like the market's definitely certainly even I'd probably say last six weeks it's been very, very noticeably buoyant. I think the recruitment market at the moment is super interesting. It's so it's great. I've never seen anything like it in terms of the it's bouncing at the moment. Desire to hire recruitment consultants yeah. and um the a bit and you know, it's almost like there's a bit of FOMO going on. It's you know, everyone's doing it, so we must get we need to get them in. Um, there are some sort of, you know, there are some great stories. There are some slightly odd ones around people being hired at the moment. But, you know, I definitely, you look at our business, you look at any business at the moment, arguably the barrier to growth is competent, skilled recruitment consultants. So I think everyone's doing the right stuff. Everyone's trying to, to bring people in and, and get the business moving forward. But it's definitely market-wise picked up. And I think there's a there, there will be a continued sort of battle for talent in, in recruitment and businesses have got to work hard on their brand and their story and you know why why you should why you should work for us rather than working for someone else and why uh, do you think why do you think people like choose spencer ogden what do you guys what's just kind of secret sauce that tends to get people over the line the secret sources there is no secret sauce <laughs> i think that's that's generally true from 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 all um across the business isn't it i think you know, we, we just try to work hard. We're never going to get it right every time. 
Um, and I don't think any business can get it. You know, some businesses can. I just don't. We're never going to get every decision and every hire right. We're just trying to work hard on bringing people in that want to be part of the values we've got, want to be part of the, the mission, are interested in the industries that we work in as well, and want to learn and grow. And if we get people that want to learn and want to progress, generally they work out. Um, we're, we're scaling quickly. Most of our leadership are organic, um, if I look across the world, so there is an opportunity to do that. Um, and it's, it's about that. It's about offering people an environment where they can grow and an environment where they can get developed and an environment where hopefully they can thrive in some pretty important growth industries at the moment. Um, What's the vision? What is, the, what is that vision? Where are you guys take over the world, Sean. It's no different to what it was 10 years ago. <laughs> have, you got, have you got some kind of flagship numbers or stats that you're aiming for that you can share? Um, you know, we, we obviously had a business plan when we put together, um, when we, we, we did the transaction last year. We, we closed 19 on 37 million of fees. Uh, we want to grow to 60 million of net fees. Um, right. We want to continue to launch offices. For me, it's more, you know, the key part of our vision is around organic growth and the growth story. And, you know, it's about providing or creating careers. And it's continuing to do that. So the growth is to facilitate our ability to grow careers and grow career paths. And whether that's move people internationally, whether that's move people internally, um, or whether it's just bringing people in into each office to, to grow and move into leadership positions. Us or elsewhere, you know, that's part of the, you know, how everyone's going to stay. That's the way it goes. But if we can we can bring people in and develop them i think we're doing a good job there's a huge uh, growth opportunity in energy and infrastructure really really big growing markets particularly with the energy shift from fossil to, to renewables so yeah. we want to be the leading player in that i think we've got a good i think we've got a bit of a head start on some places but you know we've got a bit of we've got a bit of growth to go and it's getting capacity and um, density into our existing offices and that, that that's us in the next 18 to 24 months it's um hiring good people retaining and developing them simple the, the one thing no secret the one that's the thing you know every time i interview someone like yourself who's at the top of such a well-renowned and successful organization you make it you just sound simple it's not it's not over complicating this 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 industry is it it's it's um it's doing the basics well and um Obviously, you guys have just signed up with us on the academy, which is exciting, and you know you're embracing the fact that there's new ways of doing things. I don't. One thing I want to make sure people understand about our academy and my my vision, because there's been quite a bit out there recently on LinkedIn about you know just just cold calling and market mapping. Like I actually believe all that's great. Like I actually I made a lot of calls this morning and got through every single one of them, and I'm like, it's fucking brilliant, isn't it? Um, probably more opportunity to do it sometimes now, but. I think it just you have to layer modern skills on top right you just got you, you, you what worked will continually work but if you're ignoring the fact that things are it's like ignoring the fact that oil and gas change like you have to embrace what's happening within and, and what's available to your team so i'm well excited to have you guys on board and, and to see what impact that has um across linkedin one final thing it's Mental Health Awareness Week. I actually didn't know that when I put the video out on Monday about the shit that I've been going through. I, I didn't know. So people are like, oh, amazing that you did it on Monday. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, so I'm now, I now know. Um, how would you say you manage your mental health, whether it's conscious or subconscious, like in terms of the things you do? What What's your way around making sure? Because you've got such a such a job to do. You know, you, you, you've got... You've got a lot of pressure, a lot of 
responsibility. How do you maintain that balance for yourself? Um, we, we, we actually run some, we ran a wellness session yesterday, actually. We had someone coming in and do some, some wellness training to exactly do that, to teach some techniques of how to manage stress and how to manage and how to switch off. And for yeah. me personally, the thing I've definitely learned is about having, a, you know, and I was very bad at this up until relatively recently, actually, is having a distinct cutoff between work and not work. So I've got two dogs, going for walks, playing golf, you know, just trying to get out and make sure that, you stop working and you start enjoying and you start living your life as well. I think that's such a key thing. I think recruitment and running a business can become all in consuming. I think you have to learn to kind of leave it in the door. Yeah. And I think you have to ask. You have like there's one thing I've learned. It's if something's hard, ask someone. Pick up the phone and ask. Say this is hard. You, you know, no one gets a badge for um just battling through it and working it out and you know wearing it. You know, if something's difficult, pick up some the phone to someone. Like I was very lucky that um, when I took over the business, I just found loads of people that had run bigger businesses than me, phoned them up and said, hey, you're really successful. Do you mind if I meet you for a coffee? <laughs> how did you run this business? How do you, what works, what doesn't work for this? And, you know, how do you deal with stress or how do you switch off? So just trying to, just asking people and talking to people, I think is, is a key bit. And it, it's, for, but for me, what I do very much is, here's work, here's not work and make sure I enjoy my time outside work as well and try not to let it drag. When, business starts in Asia and finishes in America you can easily have 18 hour days and it's just not healthy uh, for anyone and allowing your team that time off as well what's happening the messaging at all hours of the day doesn't do anyone favors so um, although you you feel like you want to do it sometimes it's best to you can park it and wait for the next day nothing's, nothing's ever that urgent totally and there's, there's something I've learned recently as well which is about being truthful to yourself so like when you feel you feel a bit agitated and then you're like, I've got to go on this call. Sometimes it's better to not like, so I've realized when I'm actually, I'm, I'm genuinely not in the right place. It's saying, and that might not be work. That could be your partner or your mom or your mate, or it's, it's basically saying no to things that I've, I've always been really bad at. And, yeah. you take on, and then what happens is you pick up the phone and you take on some more shit, like whether it's work or personal, someone dumps on you and you're already, you, your brain's already full of that anyway. So like, even last night I had to say no to something about eight o'clock at night and just I just went for a walk around town and I just didn't ignored my phone for an hour and I, I needed that because I'd been on calls from eight o'clock till 8 p.m on and off and you know sometimes saying no sometimes letting people down is the most important thing for yourself I've, I've, I've figured that out you got um, to prioritize yeah sometimes you got to prioritize yourself that's and that's that's all business and all life is feel guilty doing it but it's, imp it's super important um absolutely probably, i could talk to you all day mate this has been awesome we've had a one comment on linkedin here from a guy called ricky scott he just said uh awesome podcast i've just recently started a recruitment company so i'm very pleased to have stumbled across this show and inspiring to listen to successful recruitment professionals doing well cheers ricky appreciate it um literally like the whole point of the show is for what you just said right the you you went out and asked i'm trying to bring information for people like you to others that that don't know if anyone does reach out and ask for some five minutes of your time are you open to them getting in touch via linkedin i'll happily put them on someone that knows what they're talking about but yeah no of course yeah absolutely, absolutely yeah linkedin's so modest, the way to go oh modest but yeah I'll, I'll tag you and everything on there bradley it's been a pleasure thank you so much what i'd love to do is get you back on in the future and we'll see how you know, the Spencer Ogden journey has progressed at that point. Okay. Appreciate it.
Guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, I say this every single week. We are trying to grow our audience. We want more and more people to listen. Yes, there's com competition between the industry, but together we achieve more. We're stronger, especially at times like Mental Health, Mental Health Awareness Week. You know, we're, we, we can learn from each other. And like Bradley said, this show is all about that. It's about listening. It's about being able to download information from successful people and actually reaching out to them after if you want to and having a chat. So please share this episode with someone you think would benefit from listening to Bradley's story um, because together we are definitely stronger. Um, I'll be back again next week. I've got some unbelievable guests lined up till the end of June. Um, uh, I don't know exactly who I've got next week. Let me just have a little look. Unless I'm, I'm putting them under pressure now because if they let me down, they're done. I've got Andy Morell next week from Oscar Associates, who's in a similar sort of position to yourself, who's come in and is now the CEO of the business. So um, I'm a fellow Mancunian. Looking forward to that episode next Wednesday, same time, LinkedIn Live, as well as Thursday morning on the on the podcast store. So um, I'll be back next week. Cheers, Brad. To everyone else, please stay safe, and I'll see you soon.